Welcome to the Derby Day edition of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. It was Christmas Day for punters with a nine race card of group racing at Flemington, including four massive group ones. From AFL Premiership coach to group one trainer, Dennis Pagan pulled off a great training performance to take out the Victoria Derby with maiden gelding Johnny Get Angry. In the Coolmore Stud Stakes, the Phillies beat the boys with a dominant win down the straight from September run. Meanwhile in Sydney, Colette handled the heavy track at Rose Hill better than her rivals to take out the $7.5 million Golden Eagle. As always, to talk through all the action and give us his picks for Tuesday's Melbourne Cup is the Herald Sun's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Finuccio. Another brilliant day of racing on Derby Day. How did you pull up, mate? It was a great day of racing. Unfortunately, I've had better derby days. It's a bit of a stinker for me. <laughs> financially, you mean? Yeah, financially, yes. And um, I think a, a lot of people might have been in the same boat. A lot of close seconds, particularly with the favourites. I just needed diamond effort in the last race to get me a, a result. And it was just unfortunate it couldn't be done. Well, yeah, Diamond Effort was a little... We'll talk about that a little bit later, Big V, but it's not often we agree on our best bets, and it happened that we did have some synergies there, and we were both left pretty disappointed in the get-out stakes there at Flemington. But, gee, it was a big day of racing. You're right, I was caught out with a few very close seconds with some of the horses I backed, and I was sort of mentioning to you off-air that it felt like a losing day. Just felt like I tipped a lot of uh, losers on the day, but I did manage to sort of break even overall, so not as bad as it perhaps felt anyway. But... Uh, a great day of racing, obviously headlined by the Derby, and I know in that race your best for the day, or one of your best for the day, was Young Werther, which did run a nice third, but you know couldn't keep up with Johnny Get Angry there in the straight. Yeah, that's right. And I thought at the four hundred, I thought Young Werther was going to just explode away from the field. It looked like the race had been set up for him, but he just Johnny Get Angry just outstayed him. He was just tougher, and was just kept staying with him and yeah I thought at the 400 it was Young Werther's race to lose but I just he just didn't ping away from the the rest of the field as I expected yeah it did look set up for Young Werther in running it really had a, a, a beautiful ride and yeah he had every chance to win the race and you're right I think most people had their eyes on it as they they went around the turn and probably thought it would go away with the race once it sort of hit the front but yeah, maybe that missing that run last week might have uh, might have been a bit detrimental to its efforts. I'm not sure. Maybe it didn't quite get the 2500, or maybe it just wasn't good enough. It's hard to know with a you know being it's only its third start. Yeah, and, the, and even though it was its third start, I went with him as my best bet because I thought it wasn't a really strong field. And if this horse is going to live up to the raps that's been put on him, I thought he should be winning this race. So I don't think anything much is going to come out of the derby. Although I thought with a better barrier, Cherry Tony wins that race. Yeah, well, the two runs of the race, obviously taking the winner out of it, were hit the shot, which uh, flew into second, and Cherry Tortoni, who, as you say, from its outside barrier, had to settle back and was last most of the way and ended up running a, a really nice fourth. And I guess I'm interested in your view too, Big V. That was a very, very slowly run race. Like We often see that in derbies and, and in the Oaks as well, but it was particularly slow. And I guess as someone who did back Cherry Tortoni, I was a little bit disappointed that there wasn't more... 
I guess, initiative shown by jockeys in that race because they really just plotted along after a, a bit of a quick start to, you know, they were doing 14, 15 seconds of furlong at one point and they just had no chance, those back markers. Well, it looked like the um, stable mate of young worder Kenzan was setting a fast tempo. He looked like he was a runaway leader. But it's just whether the rest of the field were, decided just to back off because he looked like... I think at one stage he got to about 10 lengths in front, but you know, just because that happens, it, I've seen it before where it looks like there's a tearaway leader, but he's not really going that fast at all. It's just the rest of the field are deciding to go really slow. So I'll have to look at the at the figures again. But the leader did come back to the field and he's ended up running second last, so maybe he went too fast, but the rest of the field just decided not to keep up with him. Well, I think what happened was Big V, they went out reasonably quick uh, with that leader for the first 600, but then just went, stopped and had a crawl for for until they sort of got to the turn, which really didn't help some of those back markers make any ground and made it very difficult for them. So, look, I, I do get your point about not too many to follow out of that, but I do think the runs of Hit the Shot and Cherry Tour Tony were, were quite outstanding given given the runs that they did did have in that race. But I guess uh, with a lot of these horses, it's hard to tell. And, you know, a number of them will probably be coming around this time next year into the Melbourne Cup and we'll be able to really see them over a distance. And without giving away our listener question, in the derby at the 2,500 metre mark, it's not that long a straight until they get to the, the first turn. So when they jump out of the barriers, there's this jostling for position. So... Once they find their spots, then the tempo does slacken off. So sometimes jockeys that draw wide are looking to go forward, but then other horses inside them prevent that from happening, so they're forced to go back. And then once that happens, once they find their spots, there's just a slowdown, and and the horses that wanted that were back and wanted to go a bit more forward, they can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's right. And we will look into that a little bit further on, as you sort of alluded to there about the importance or or lack thereof, I suppose, of barriers in these big races, particularly when they're big fields like uh, the Melbourne Cup will be obviously on Tuesday and the importance of that. But first off, I might quickly go straight to your should have backed it for the week, Big V. And uh, it was in the Coolmore Stud Stakes with uh, September Run really getting the job done brilliantly there, flying past the field and, and winning uh, one of the more convincing efforts in the Coolmore that I've seen for some years now. Yeah, very dominant performance. And I was on it last start and, yeah, kicking myself a little bit, I didn't stick with her. I jumped on Wild Ruler. I thought his win was impressive in Sydney and I just thought he might just be a bit too strong for her. But... Yeah, just like Young Word, I just thought at the 400, he looked like he was just ready to explode, but just didn't have that that zip. And that's what September Run had and just won easily in the end. Yeah, and look, I think importantly yesterday too, uh, going, uh, going around the fact that September Run I did have on top and I did think was going to be the horse to beat in that race, Horses that could find cover down the straight was really important yesterday. I think there was a headwind in the Flemington straight. So, you know, we saw that over a number of races. And I know I backed horses like Octane, 
time and effort. And I know wild rule. These are horses that were out the front facing the breeze. And it just made it really hard for those horses. So a September run, you know, a get-back horse was put into a brilliant position by Craig Williams and just came off heels at the right time and, you know, went zooming past them. So, yeah, look, I was on the horse and I'd stuck with it. In fact, I stuck with both of the fillies that I've been following through this uh, sort of preparation of September run and swatched that and they ended up filling the first two places. So I was, I was pretty happy. But, yeah, it was another brilliant run. I look, I look forward to seeing September run in some of the bigger races again yeah. next season. And I did read in the stewards report that Wild Ruler also cast the shoe and did have, um, I think he was replated at the barriers before they jump. So when a horse casts a shoe, is that a, a significant problem during the run? Well, look, it probably depends what happens. I mean, if it just comes off clean, then then maybe not a massive, uh, you know, hindrance. But if, you know, if the horse stood on it or, you know, had a nail somewhere on its hoof, perhaps it would have been it. So it's hard to know without, you know, investigating the hoof in more detail. But it, one thing I do know, Big V, it can't have helped. It wouldn't have helped its performance. So I guess um, the only thing it could have done is hindered. But, yeah, whether or not it made a difference, uh, you know, we'll never know, I suppose. I know that uh, uh, we went to the races uh, earlier this year and Adriel Shivery did the same thing down the straight at, at Flemington. It cost, I thought it cost me a race at the time. So perhaps when we're talking through our wallets, it does cost us a race. Who knows? And just on um, the other runners, um, first of all, I th- on reflection, it looked like the top three or the best three horses in the race finished top three. Farnham was a big disappointment. I was surprised that he was solid in the market at $5 and I couldn't have him at a short price. I know he won the Golden Slipper and had a big two-year-old year, but he was disappointing first up. He went really hard. He had the setback going into the Everest. If he, if he was right for the Everest, they would have run him for that prize money. I have no doubt about that. So I, I had some reservations about how he was travelling, although... You know, at the back of your, your mind, just that unknown can sometimes worry you a little bit. But I thought maybe the the late punters might have taken him on, but surprised to see him at $5. Anders was a big disappointment as well. I reckon he should have been sent to the paddock after that <laughs> flat run on um, in the Sapphire. Yeah. So his, his run last, I, I didn't think he was going to run out the, run out the 1,200. But I think after that setback last start, he should have gone to the paddock and given this race a miss. And Glenn Fittick, I, men- I mentioned it in the podcast last week. I don't like it when they come back from sixteen to twelve hundred in the Coolmore. It's it's not a it's not a good recipe. No, I think there was enough question marks around those horses, and in particular Farnham, who. You know, we didn't learn anything in its first up run. We discussed that last week. So really, if you were on that horse, you were taking it on trust from its, you know, its two-year-old performances, which I was happy at $5 to completely ignore Farnham based on that. And I guess another point I'd make too is that, again, those horses that had had that experience down the Flemington Strait were one too. So I don't think we should discount how important it is that have to back horses down the Flemington Strait that are able to handle that and have handled that in the past and we'll see that time and time again that horses some horses just adapt to that straight really well and others get a bit lost and don't don't perform as well with the unique tempo you do get down the straight so uh, i think that's an important one for punters just to keep an eye on when when backing horses down down the straight but uh one horse that i didn't back on the weekend big v and i do have it as my should have backed it 
is in the Golden Eagle, and it was a great win by Colette in that particular race. I think it was a heavy 10 by that point in the day in Sydney. It was pouring down all day. And look, it was a really tough race, so I'm not kicking myself too much. But as the track got downgraded further and further, I think it started about a heavy eight. I was desperately looking in that race for some mudlark to, to, to jump on. And there were a couple choices in there. And certainly Colette was one of those. And I did give it some consideration. Uh, but you know what? It just hadn't done enough for me this prep to sort of jump on it in this type of race. It was a really quality edition of the Golden Eagle. I think much better than last year's sort of field in terms of who they got to uh, participate. So I ended up landing on Funstar, which I just thought was the best horse. But you know, I think it was done by the barrier. You know, you can't come from sort of the outside barrier in those conditions and do all the work at both ends. So a great win from Colette. Just disappointed I missed it, Big V. Yeah. Good win. She's three from three on a heavy track. Yeah, it looked like it just set up well for her. And also the second horse, Ice Bath, backing up from last week. Those are, you know, two top performances. And no surprises that they've drawn five barriers, five and six. So they've had the perfect runs in the race. And they're also wet trackers. A few hard luck stories. You know, fun star. You know, the wide barrier, but I did, just didn't think she'd capitulate so much. So I wonder if there's something wrong with her. She's been beaten nearly 12 lengths. So I know she would have had a, a tough run to get up forward, but the way she finished off, yeah, I think I expected her to at least, you know, box on for a, a midfield finish. Alligator blood probably just doesn't go on a heavy track. And, um, yeah, and again, Creadiris missing the start. No, that, that's cost him. He looks like he could be a good horse, but just needs to improve his barrier manners. Yeah, it was actually a big run from Creed Dearest. If you look at the uh, overhead shot, you can really see it weaving its path through the field towards the end. It ended up not missing them by too much, but again, just gives them three or four lengths out of the start every time. So it really needs to fix that up to become a serious racehorse and win those sort of races, Creed Dearest. But yeah, uh, again, with Funstar, I think probably the first beaten. I was disappointed. I knew it had done some work and it... It just looked like the race was set up for Funstar, but I don't think the conditions and the way the sort of day panned out really helped that horse. So, yeah, no, great win from Colette. And, you know, that's a, it's a pretty big race these days, Big V. It's the third richest race you can race in in uh, Australia at the moment, the Golden Eagle. And I was glad to see that it had the horses to back it up this year in terms of the quality because uh, I think that was lacking, you know, in the previous edition, that Colding one. Yeah, I don't mind the race too much, although... It does prevent the four-year-olds coming down to Melbourne for the Cantala. But then again, would, would the Cantala be enough to entice these four-year-olds anyway? So I think a race like this, it keeps these horses in work. It also keeps these horses um, in ownerships rather than going to stud. You know, they've got a, a big race to target. So I'm starting to, you know, starting to favour the race a lot more. The yes, yes, yes stakes is a different matter altogether, but we can debate that another time. <laughs> but also from the Golden Eagle, I thought a couple of other big runs were Batiga and Superstorm. Yeah, particularly Superstorm, Barrier 16, you know, back in the field. You know, that was a, a huge effort to finish as close as, as she did and particularly not being a wet tracker. And I thought Dawn Passage was massive as well. You know, to finish third... You know, he just, he, he's not a, he doesn't like the wet ground and 
you know, in any other year, he'd probably, he might be one that you might take to Perth for those Group 1 races. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he goes to a race like the Gong now, but I think he's one to follow from the race if we get a dry track. Well, speaking of ones to follow, Big V, you should have given yourself a bit more credit there. You actually had Ice Bath as one of your horses to follow way back at the start of the spring. And I think at the time it had run a pretty disappointing fourth or fifth in a race that it started a uh, favourite in and it's just about won the Golden Eagle two or three starts later so if you you are a follower of Big V's horses to follow you've done pretty well with that it was a great effort as you suggested with Ice Bath and yeah again a couple of good horses in behind it but that's what you expect when you have quality fields like that as well so yeah definitely won um, a few hard luck stories I think too with the the state of the track up there in in Sydney. But yeah I- when you when you follow a horse you want it to win next start not three or four starts later which they tend to do and i when i put them as horses to follow but i just thought last week when it when it did one at randwick i mean it, it just bolted in but i wasn't going to get carried away with getting you know two dollars twenty two sixty you know, when I just made bank for the day, I wasn't going <laughs> to dive into that. Oh, I just mate, you're I'd all just, over it, aren't you? Yeah, just take take my money for the day and <laughs> and wait for the following week. But I wasn't expecting him to perform this well in the Golden Eagle. But he was back late, eight fifteen to six dollars. So obviously, the punters liked him because of his wet track. Form. Yeah, I think that was the track mostly there, Big V. But uh, one horse that didn't handle the track very well, I didn't think, was Diamond Effort in the Furphy Sprint, the last there at Flemington, and that's your should have sacked it horse for the week. Yeah, it was, and I think maybe I'm talking out of my pocket because I, I was very disappointed by the run, and you did point out to me later on on text that there was a headwind. And it was just a surprise to see him lead into that headwind because he's he's not a leader, and I don't know, maybe he just jumped out of the barriers too well. But yeah, I was a bit surprised. I just thought a horse that was going into a Group One race last week, he was scratched because it was a dry track. You know, maybe that's probably one reason why I should have sacked it because we're getting a good track. But I just thought Rooney Valley last week was a good three, maybe bordering on a fast two. Yeah, the good four at Flemington should have been an issue but I expected a lot better well it actually the track was upgraded I believe to a good three and I did have it as one of my best and I sort of committed myself but I, I, just before the race I did consider not getting on it because just a few things were lining up that didn't really impress me including a lot of money that came for the eventual winner Fiesta I think it got backed in from $10 all the way into about $4.70 at the end there but yeah, I think two horses, and I should have sacked it for the week too, which I'll touch on in a second. Both actually was an occasion where you didn't want them to jump well. You wanted them to actually miss it by half a length just so they could get in behind the field because they Diamond Effort and Octane, who I'll talk about in a moment, yeah, they just, because they jumped so well, they naturally went to the front and it wasn't like there was a rush to the front. So the jockeys had nowhere to go. And once you're in that headwind, 1,200 metres, it makes it very hard to uh, to lead all the way and win. We saw that time and time again yesterday, Flemington down the straight. So, yeah, I'm unfortunate from Diamond Effort. Look, it's had a good prep again. It's a very consistent horse. This was clearly its worst performance of the prep yeah. so far. And I do wonder whether they just put it in the paddock now or have another crack at something. Um, I guess we'll see. But uh, it does get helped by a little bit of cut out of the track too. I don't think the group yeah. three was what it wanted. And as you say, yeah. they probably just didn't want to scratch it twice in a row, did they? But, yeah, uh, and it's, it's, it has one on a good track, but I just... I just thought 
you know, should have done better against this field. I mean, you've got horses like Sister, Zanaya, Too Good, Too Hard, that I thought it should have finished ahead of, ahead of those horses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, my should have sacked it was Octane there in the Tab Stakes earlier in the day. I think it was race three. And as I just said, as soon as the horse jumped, and it jumped really well, and it doesn't always do that, I knew I was in a lot of trouble because it was facing the breeze. It had its head up, and I thought, I've done my money almost the second it jumped. So uh, it looked like it had the right form, similar to Diamond Effort, where it probably had the best form going into the races. But another well-backed horse, Kemal Parser, ended up winning. And actually, I think it actually has run, won that race now two years on in a row. And I'm just looking at the at the position in running, and Kemal Parsa led the race. So I might have to watch the replay again. Well, maybe I need to redo my analysis. Yeah, so if that's the case, that's a huge performance. And I think it's going to Perth now for the winter bottom. So that's got to be a big chance. Well, absolutely. If it did manage to lead the race and win it uh, yesterday, then it's definitely a horse that we can put in the black book to follow. And I guess also follow the money there as well. They did come late for that horse and the money was, as it can be, uh, spot on with it, with that winning quite comfortably in the end. And beating a couple decent horses in behind it there, your order of command and the ever-consistent bold star. So, yeah, a couple of uh, horses down the straight there that we probably, uh, if we had our time again, might have handled a little bit differently, Big V, but... Earlier in the day, we saw the Lexus or the Hotham now, uh, and we saw Ashrun get its place or book its place in the Melbourne Cup with a, gee, a last-ditched effort to just knock off sound in the, in the last 20 metres of the race. And I was on sound, of course, so <laughs> and I, I knew that very well. When, uh, when, it, when it went past it at about $8.50, I was counting my money with 50 metres to go Big V. But, yeah, what did you make of that run, and do you give Ashrun a chance in the big race? I thought Ashrun was... Yeah, it was, no, that was an excellent run by Ashrod. I'm not sure now with the wide barrier in the Melbourne Cup whether that would help his chances. I did have him maybe as a top 10 chance before the barrier draw, and I think uh, the wide barrier is going to be tough for him, particularly backing up a couple of days later. I tipped him on top in the Geelong Cup, and after the race, I just just made me look silly, just putting the horse on top. and But I just don't think he handled the Geelong track and he just looked a bit more comfortable at Flemington. You know, again, I just from the race, i disappointed that I went with Admire Robson on top. I, I should have stuck with Sound from the week before in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup, even though Sound has just got pipped in the end. He's having a really good prep and unlucky not to get a, a cup spot. Well, it also ran really well in the Cup last year, and I, I guess you could say that about a few horses, just the pace of the race allowed that. But, yeah, I just thought, you know, it, it was the horse to beat yesterday, and I was getting $8.50, $9 about sound, so I was very happy to jump on it. But, yeah, it was it was run down well, and I, I don't think you can be that hard on yourself about picking it in the Geelong Cup. I thought it ran on nicely for fourth, so I don't think you had too much egg on your face there. And I guess the form there has been franked straight away by... A pretty, uh, pretty good win there yesterday in the Hotham. But um, I guess that's a nice segue, Big V. I mean, we've been following you in on the big races this year and we're down to the final, the main one, the Melbourne Cup. So um, yeah, I know you've just or are in the process of writing a big preview for the, for the Herald Sun there, for the Tuesday paper. So I know it's fresh on the mind. And, well, that's why everyone's listening, mate. We want to hear who you're on in the big race because... 
um, over time you've flipped and flopped and all the horses you've had up top actually now that I look at it are all really still in the market so I'm keen to hear who you've landed on as your top pick but you started the, it off with Surprise Baby went to Santiago uh, across again to Prince of Arran after its uh, its big performance in the Caulfield Cup and then to Sir Dragon A last week but Big V I don't want you to just give me your top pick I want you to give me your top four for this year's Melbourne Cup and why? All right. Well, I'm going to go with on top Tiger Moth. I'm disappointed with the barrier draw, but I'm going to stick with it. I think there's a few other reasons to to be with it, and also other reasons why you can you can knock some of the other horses. I mean, Anthony Van Dyke is the favourite now, based on getting barrier three, but still, at the end of the day, he's got to carry 58 and a half kilos, which no horse has done since 1975. So, I think with the barrier draw and the and the markets. I think the the bookies are swaying their markets too heavily on what the barriers are, not the other factors in the race. So that's why I'm going to stick with Tiger Moth. He looks like a really good horse. And if you go back last year when Aidan O'Brien brought Il Paradiso, I mean, he was an unlucky third in the race. And I think looking at the form, Tiger Moth might be a better horse than Il Paradiso. So I'm happy to stick with him on top. All right, and uh, what about second, third, and fourth, Big V? So Tiger right. Moth's our winner, and we can discuss so that. I want to talk more about that, but we want your first four as well, mate. So um, I was interested to hear you say about Anthony Van Dyke, the 58 and a half. From memory, didn't Maccabi Diva carry that, or did she only carry the 58 in that she last carried Melbourne 58, Cup? which is Half. still a pretty good effort, particularly from a mare. So that was um, – so, yeah, look, it, it can be done. It's in the barrier three does help Anthony Van Dyke, but – it is going to be tough, and I'm going to go with the lightweights. In terms of my top four, I've gone with Sir Dragon A second, Prince of Iran third, and Russian Camelot fourth. I'm, I don't know, I'm still debating with myself whether I've rated Russian Camelot too highly for this race, whether it's a year too soon for him, and whether I've underrated surprise baby because that was a big run last year by him and I've got him coming in at seventh and so I've just I'm tossing up whether I've gone the wrong way with those local horses yeah it's funny you say that when I was pulling together sort of my early sort of first four for the Melbourne Cup I had the exact same thought I I pulled it together and I had four or five horses and it it didn't include surprise baby but gee I tell you what taking a look back at that last year's Melbourne Cup effort and yeah, gee, it was such a big run from, from last to finish where it did in that race. And if it's anywhere near that form and it gets any kind of, uh, you know, trail this year instead of a, a you know, a walk like we did last year, if we get an actually an evenly run race, it's got to be right up there in the contest. And I think it's drawn pretty well as well, which will help it. So, yeah, look, in terms of my top four, and I... I might get egg on my face for this big V, but I really do like Russian Camelot. And I, I think just, you know, it's a Northern Hemisphere three-year-old and it's, it's, it's going to get that weight in terms of, uh, you know, the weight relief that you do see with horses like Tiger Moth who will have 52.5, it'll have 53.5. I thought its run in the Cox Plate was huge, probably underrated uh, what it did that day from the outside barrier. And I'm happy to stick with it on top in the Melbourne Cup. Um, I don't see any reason to jump off fairly, very elegant. I'm a little bit surprised that uh, you didn't include her in your sort of top sort of four big V. I mean, what has she done wrong? She's 
six-time Group 1 winner, Caulfield Cup winner, beat Anthony Van Dyke, you know, last time they met and will meet it uh, about, at about the same weight. And really, if you look at that race and that Caulfield Cup, was going away from Anthony Van Dyke at the end. So I'm, I'm happy to have her second pick. I do like Prince of Aaron, just a very consistent horse in in, a, in Australia. And, you know, we've got Jamie Carr, who we love on this podcast, on board, Barrier 1. We'll get a we'll get a gun ride, so I can see it being right in the finish. And for fourth, I'm tossing up between Tiger Moth and Anthony Van Dyke. It's, it's hard to choose. Do you choose the the proven performer with the weight, or the horse with the uh, the the form line that sort of suits the last few Melbourne Cups with the trends with your Il Paradisos and your your Rekindlings, etc. With Tiger Moth, so they they're the two I'm tossing up for fourth and fifth. But yeah, on top, Russian Camelot for me. But yeah, plenty to happen even between now and then, Big V. You never know what's going to happen. We're not going to get any rain. We know that for sure. So that's why I've left out Sadragon, eh, who I thought was a really good contender. But I think on the hard ground, we might see a different horse on Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah, and that's and that's a big factor as well. The It's going to be 29 degrees, so it's going to be a good track. I've got Sadragon second, but again, you know, the... The conditions will play a, a part, and you know we, that that'll be the same for Very Elegant. I think she 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 can run on a good track, but I think her best is on soft ground. And I think in the Caulfield Cup, the track was wetter than what the official rating was, so it was no surprise to see her win that race. She's got to go to thirty two hundred. That's probably a little query as well, and she's carrying the same weight that Maccabi Diva did when she won her second Melbourne Cup. So she's got a bit of history against her as well. So I've got her coming in sixth. I'm expecting a big run from her, but I think the good track might be against her. I think she would have preferred... She, she would go better on a, on a softer... on the softer going. Yeah, I think she definitely is better on the softer going, but oh, you can't knock some of the form that she's pulled together, even on good tracks as well. I think she goes... She's still a quality horse. My concern with her is just, you know, from barrier fifteen, they're going to have to, she's going to have to come across Mark Zara, find a spot, and just get her to settle. She can get her head up and running, and she can, you know, throw her head around and not settle in races. And it doesn't hurt her as much in these shorter races, even up to twenty four hundred. But over thirty two hundred, she could spend a lot of petrol uh, having a look around and and uh, not concentrating on the race and throwing her head. So. It'll be a big job for Mark Zara to do that and, and get her to settle. And I guess just talking about her barrier, and you've mentioned a couple of barriers there, it's a nice little segue into our listener question that's come through from, from Cameron again on Twitter, who's a regular listener, and he's, he's asked a question, Big V, and I'm, I'm keen to hear how much you factored this into your Herald Sun preview of the Melbourne Cup. And he asked, there's been a lot of comment post the Cup barrier draw. Does the barrier matter given the length of the race? There's been a few winners from wide in recent history. So, yeah, Cameron, he makes a good point. In fact, I'm pretty sure three of the last four winners have come from pretty wide barriers uh, in the Melbourne Cup, including last year's winner. So how, how much of a factor do you think it is in the Melbourne Cup, Big V? Well, based on last year and a few other years, it probably not so much because it is a long run until they get to the, the winning post for the first time. So they've got a bit of time to find their positions. If they jump well then they can, they can gradually move across and find a position. So I'm not going to let that put me off Tiger Moth with the wide barrier. I'm just going to trust that Kieran McAvoy can 
find a good spot with him and not be too far off the leader. So that's the key. But you look at the derby in, at 2,500 metres, there is a shorter run till they get to that winning post. And you know, with Cherry Tortoni, I thought Billy Egan was trying to look for a spot you know, up forward, midfield or closer to the leaders, but just couldn't find it and he had to go back to last. So it just depends on, you know, the what the distance is of the race, you know, how far they've gotten to the first bend and that, that determines whether wide barriers can be a factor or not. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about uh, the position of the, the start. So you're right, the Melbourne Cup, they've got 1,200 metres, which is a long time to find a spot and over that time I mean it does mean more work for the jockey obviously it's not as easy as just lobbing out a barrier for three and finding a position but over that time you can lob into a position particularly if it started quickly and we've got dashing Willoughby this year who we saw in the Caulfield Cup go out really hard so if it and a couple others really put on some pace early you might find that the field stretches out and really provides that gap for different horses to to uh, come into and I guess that's another thing to, to work out with uh, when you do see your horse in a wide barrier is their racing pattern. Are they a get-forward horse? Do they just lob back? Where do they want to sit in the running? Because if they are a get-forward horse, they're going to have to do a lot of work to get forward, get to the front and find that position. If they do tend to settle back in racing, then they can just flop out of the Garrett barriers uh, and just uh, find a position at the back without put, giving up too much of an effort. So I think that's important when you're looking at this. Um, I think weight can also be a factor too, Big V. I think if you've got a nice light weight and you can drop out and find a position or even be okay to sort of sit three wide for a little bit of the trip, that's okay. But if you've got an Anthony Van Dyke in barrier 24, I'd, I'd be really concerned with 58.5 kilos and a wide draw uh, with, with that particular horse because with 58.5, you don't want to be doing any extra work. You can't afford to do any extra work in running, which is why... I think the market has come for Anthony Van Dyke because of its good barrier, because it can just lob out now and it won't have to do anything over the third, won't have to run any more than 3,200 metres, whereas some of these horses in wider barriers are going to have to do a little bit of extra work. But I guess the flip side to that is that, you know, some of these European horses, they're not used to being in fields of 24. Like we see them in some of their racing over there, racing in four or six horse fields. And, you know, some of them don't like actually being crowded on the inside. So we saw even with Russian Camelot in the, in the Cox Plate that they actually preferred him to be out and have some galloping room. And often with these European horses that haven't raced in Australia, that's actually a preference. So it would be interesting whether that could even be an advantage for a horse like Tiger Moth who, who you know, it's only got 52.5 kilos, might enjoy the fact it's got some galloping room on the outside. And we see horses like Finch as well in Australia who, you know, they're big horses, they're big rangy horses. They don't travel well inside of horses. So there's a lot of factors to consider when you're looking at barriers. It's not just, oh, it drew barrier 24, can't win. You know, you've got to look at a whole bunch of different factors to determine whether that's actually a bad thing for that horse. So in the case of Tiger Moth, you know, 23 is obviously not ideal, but I don't think it's going to be hugely detrimental to its chance. I think it can definitely still win from there uh, yeah. if we do have the race pattern. And if you look at other examples, the Randwick 1600 metre is pretty fair for the horses drawn out wide. We've seen a couple of horses win the Doncaster and even Epsom's from wide barriers, whereas at Rose Hill, like we saw in the Golden Eagle, the 1500 metres there... It is difficult for horses to 
come from wide barriers and go forward and, and keep going strong at the end like we saw with Funstar. So, you know, it depends on the track and, you know, what distance, you know, where the distance marker they're starting from. You know, they're, they're crucial factors that you need to know as well. And and when you start betting and and whether you start winning and losing on particular races at particular distances, that's when you start learning which tracks and distances where wide barriers don't matter too much. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, like, you even look at some of the straight races that we've seen historically, you don't want to draw inside barriers on the in the Flemington straight. You prefer to be out wide and come down the outside rail. So it can be a, a different factor depending on the, the course, the conditions, the the horses in the race and, and where the track is. But I think uh, Cameron's question around the Melbourne Cup, I think if you like a horse that's drawn out wide, you, and um, I wouldn't have that as a reason to, to, to jump off it. And you know what? You're probably going to better get a, get a better price. We saw, for instance, Tiger Moth uh, is now an $8 equal favourite with Anthony Van Dyke, and that market really flipped after the barriers were drawn. I think Tiger Moth was the clear favourite before then, so you might just get a slightly better price, which isn't the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, I'm just wondering what price I'm going to wait for until I jump on. You know, you might get $10.00. I'll just wait and see. Well, I actually think Tiger Moth is a pretty good price at about $8 at the moment. I think if you look at recent history, and uh, I think they will come for horses like Tiger Moth on the day. So I think $8 is about as good as you're going to get, mate. I'll see. I think I've saw eight fifty on the TAB, so I'll keep my eye out tomorrow <laughs> and see if it pushes out to 9 I'll see if it waits, waits till I get 10 and maybe jump on it. Little odds boost, get I'll it up to 11 mate. Put the put the put the house deposit on it at eleven dollars. You'll be laughing, mate. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> no, just, definitely uh, not suggesting go, that. I'll just go something small, just an interest, just to keep myself interested on Cup Day. Actually, I, I would I wanted to ask you that, Big V. What is your strategy on Cup Day in terms of the Cup? I mean, it's obviously a very hard race. I often get asked for my tips on Cup Day, and I often tell people. It's probably the only race in the year that you don't want to have a bet in because you've got often got horses from lots of different form lines. Obviously, there's 24 horses in the race. It's it's very challenging one to pick. So, um, what kind of strategy would you generally go with, or is it a year by year prospect? I think it's year by year, but I think because it's the Melbourne Cup, you feel like you you need to have a bet. So if you uh, if you for me, if I feel like that that I've got to have a bet in the race. Maybe I might just have a smaller stake than what I'd, I'd usually have on on the Saturday and, and just have something small on it. And if it if it wins, it's all well and good. If it doesn't, not too much damage. You know, and in the Melbourne Cup, you're going to get decent odds anyway. So you're going to get, in this instance, $8 to field. So you can have a, a smaller percentage as your wager. Yeah, look, that's probably how I see it as well, Big V. You know, you're getting some pretty good prices about horses and you don't have to have much on them to, to you know, to win, win quite a bit. And you can have, you know, three or four horses if you want to because if you're getting sort of 12 to $20 around, around the price and you have a two or three horse strategy, you're still going to be making money on the race if your horse wins. So that can add a little bit of fun as well. And one thing I do like are the exotics. I'm not very much an exotic better, usually Big V, but I do think there's a lot of value in things like the trifecta and the first fours because you end up getting a horse like Edda James at 100 to 1 sneaking into fourth and some of those dividends can be 
phenomenally big and as you say you don't need a big percentage to to make a lot of money so i'd suggest to punish just to have a bit of fun with it uh you know wouldn't go too hard at, at anything but yeah you'll you'll get rewarded if you do happen to to pick the winner and you know often just picking the winner in melbourne cups about bragging rights isn't it because as you say everyone's on it it is frustrating don't you think when you read afterwards that people have had they've picked four horses only four <laughs> horses in their pick four and they've got it you know first second third fourth i mean how frustrating is that i did see that a few years ago i think a, a lady somewhere just picked the first four straight out and i think the, that year the the first four almost paid a million dollars it was a year where a lot of uh outsiders happened to get the job done and yeah it, it can be a little bit frustrating big v but also you know it's good to see people having a win and and enjoying the day, but <laughs> I do like it. There's a lot of experts on Melbourne Cup Day, so I try to stay away from giving any tips out because you don't get the re- you don't get the recognition when they win, and when they lose, you got people coming at you. So <laughs> try to avoid that, Big B. And I try doing it again next year. Get the the top four in order, but I suppose when you have you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people putting their bets on and all these different combinations, there's going to be one that that is on the money. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Big V, uh, this is a question without notice, but we won't be having a podcast uh, until the Oaks that are happening on Thursday. Uh, is there a horse in that race that you've particularly got your eyes on or that you've settled on based on a, a few of the performances? We saw a few of them go around yesterday in the wakeful, and uh, oh, look, I was all over personal winning that race. I was a bit disappointed she couldn't get the job done, but is there a, uh, a horse that you'll be following into the Oaks on Thursday? I'm not sure if I'm going to get too involved in the Oaks. I think Montefilia looks tough to beat if she comes down for that. But from the wakeful, I think the run of Miraval, it just looked like that that was just a a nice top-up run for the Oaks. I mean, it drew wide. They weren't going to push it to to win that race. And it was just hitting the line strongly as well. So that looked like that was just a a nice tune-up run. Yeah. main target on Thursday. All right. Well, that might be a nice one to follow. We'll, uh, we'll get a good price about it on uh, on Oaks Day as well. But uh, in terms of my horses to follow, I mentioned last week 50 stars. It ran again yesterday over 1,600, and I thought put a really good performance in, only beating a couple lengths. So for the McKinnon, I think it's about $9 at the moment on Saturday. I think that's one we can continue to follow. And I saw over in race four, and it was only a benchmark 78 over there, but... Uh, Archana run really well in, in the fourth race there. So I think if you see that running around in Sydney, definitely a horse that you can follow moving forward. But uh, are there any horses? You know, we've got a big few days coming up, Big V, Melbourne Cup Day, uh, Oaks Day, and then obviously Stakes Day on Saturday. Any horses that you'll be following into races over those few days? I think on Stakes Day, I'm really keen to get on Bivouac in the VRC Sprint. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I've mentioned that the Yes, Yes, Yes stakes is a, is a race that I detest because it's, it's there to stop horses coming down to Melbourne. But I think at least get, not having Geetra coming down and Hawbury on her, I think it makes my decision to back Bivouac a lot more easy, <laughs> a lot more easier on Saturday because, you know, I just don't think there's, there's much to beat it. I, I think Nature Strip, has been disappointing this preparation. I can't see him turning it around this weekend. And I think, um, yeah, Bivouac's also got the the edge on Libertini and Santa and Elaine. And 
Actually, it was good that Santa has um, come down for the race and didn't run in the on Saturday because of the wet track. So that just is just another rival and just maybe might ensure that we might get a, a better price for Bivouac. I wasn't a fan of the Yes, Yes, Yes stakes until I backed Gitra yesterday, Big V. Now I'm a massive fan of the race. So it's amazing how we can talk through our wallet sometimes. But it'll still be a, a big race there on the Saturday with Bivouac and Nature Strip and Santa and a few of the other really top sprinters around. So I don't think we've lost a huge amount. Obviously, Gitra being out of the race isn't ideal. But, yeah, certainly uh, Bivouac did enough for me. And certainly now Gitra's uh, franked that form again yesterday suggest it should be right up in the finish for that race uh, on Saturday. I didn't want to get involved at Rose Hill because of the heavy track, but if if it was a, if it was good conditions and you offered me you know three forty for Geetra, which he got out to, I would have been all over that. And I was I just so happens that I was I was busy at work, and then when I saw that his price had drifted out, I I thought, oh yeah, maybe that was one I I should have got on as well. But but I just I'm not too disappointed the wet track was off-putting for me yeah it just looked like a ripping bet didn't it you had Hawley yeah. on her at about four dollars it 340 and i think eduardo at around four dollars as well and you're like guitars have just burnt these these guys in, in the previous start and on a dry track it'd start two dollars like yeah. it was just uh it seemed like a really good bet and to, to hope on her's credit and we did note this after the everett that it everest that its run was quite big in that race it really did give a give uh Gitra something serious to chase but uh the south australian managed to to get there just on the line which are uh, much to my pleasure i must say big v but uh that's probably all we've got time for this week on the should have backed it podcast obviously three massive days of racing to happen before we have our next podcast but uh you know um i think with a few of your tips there big v tiger moth in the in the uh, melbourne cup uh bivouac uh on saturday and perhaps even uh miraval there on on the, at the oaks we uh, might have a few winners to talk about when we speak again next yeah let's hope so um, you know fingers crossed for tiger moth i'm I don't pick the Melbourne Cup winner too regularly, so I'm <laughs> hoping it's my year this year. Yeah, well, I hope so too, Big V. It's a 1 in 24 chance, so don't be too hard on yourself. And, uh, yeah, as, as always, uh, punters, please, uh, con- you can contact the show. We've put our best bets up on the at Shooter Back to Twitter handle each week, and I think they're going pretty well. I think we at least get a place with most of the horses that we put up there. And, uh, t- you know, we'll have a, a big lineup of, of tweets over the next few days as each of the big races happen. So, Please feel free to contact us, as Cameron did this week with his great listener question, and we'll do our best to uh, respond when we can. But thanks for listening, and uh, as always, good luck on the punt.